Welcome to Just After Midnight, your one-stop shop for all things horror. If you love the paranormal and horror movies, this is just the place for you. Welcome to the Just After Night podcast. My name is Rashonda. And my name is Jesse Smith. And in this episode, we will be discussing uh, the different paranormal experiences that we've had. Okay. Yeah. Um, without everyone knows that, or everyone feels different about the paranormal world. Some people will deny it. Some people will accept it. And some people just want to, you know, just. I guess I'm reiterating this kind of like or deny it all the, all the way around because they don't want to believe it and they just want to go about their everyday life until something actually happens to them. What do you think, babe? I mean, that's definitely true. Um, I think a lot of people don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the paranormal until they start noticing things, you know, weird things happening like you know, door slamming or hearing their name called and they're the only ones home and things like that. But we're here to tell you, we've both experienced paranormal experiences and it's real. Yeah, it's very real. Like, um, I'm going to go back to when I was a kid, about back in 1985. I remember I wanted to go to my best friend's house, Dwayne Davis, right? And, of course, we couldn't because my mom told me there was going to be a storm or whatever. So I'm sitting on the porch, and I see the clouds coming, right? And on the corner of, I think it was Genevieve and Beacon, it was in St. Louis, where I saw, like, this dog, right, just sitting on the corner. And I kept looking, right? Now, it wasn't really nighttime. Right, it was maybe six p.m. Sun is still up, but you can, as like I said, clouds, dark clouds are coming, so you can clearly see everything. And it's starting to rain a little bit, and now that dog is just sitting on the corner, and it had blazing red eyes. Right, so I'm getting geared up. I'm like, oh my god, man, what the heck is this? So I stopped and I kind of walked back on the porch, like where the door was. And I looked back and I see that dog literally change into a man with also the same red eye. So I'm like, at this point, I'm scared of my mom. And I come running and I was like, mom, mom, start dreaming. Mama come and everybody come running downstairs and they look and they don't see anything on the corner. Of course, it was gone by that time. But at that point, you know, um, I started believing that there is a, a supernatural world always trying to communicate with the living. Well, what about you, babe? Well, my mother told, uh, has always told me that I was born with a cauld or veil over my face. Mm-hmm. And by having that removed, uh, it allows me to, you know, see things or experience things that people wouldn't normally experience. Um, The first paranormal experience I remember having, I was 12 years old and we lived in a small town in Louisiana, um, Sulphur, Louisiana. And this particular day I decided to go to the store to get me some snacks. So I walked down Maple Street, crossed Highway 90, went to the Circle K. Um, It was dusk um kind of starting to turn dark uh when i left by the time i finally decided what i wanted it was actually completely dark when i left the store so i'm walking back up maple street and i'm about i would say a minute or so away from uh the intersection of maple street and elm street and out the corner of my left eye I see a man walking across the street. I didn't pay too much attention at first, the first few seconds after I noticed it. But then knowing that he was there just kind of made me, I guess, more aware of his actions. So I started kind of turning my head a little bit and watching him. And I started noticing that if I walked faster, he walked faster. If I walked slower, he walked slower. Um, That started kind of freaking me out because in a way it was like almost like he was mimicking me or making fun of me. 
And so I'm like, okay, this this is not cool. I, I need to get home. So I, I start walking faster. And of course, he starts walking faster. Now, when you get to the intersection of Maple Street and Elm Street, there on the left-hand side of the road, there's a church and it's an abandoned church. But in front of that church is a street light. Cat a corner to that abandoned church is another church. And that church was actually in use. Well, my house was right next to that church on the right-hand side of the road. As we get to the intersection of Elm Street and Maple Street, right near that light, I actually turn and look and he walks under the light and I swear to God, he was headless. He did not have a head. I screamed bloody murder and took off running. I became Flojo that day. I ran as fast as I could to get in the house, collapsed on the living room floor crying, telling everybody what happened. My dad goes out on the front porch and he sees the man still standing under the street light. And my dad goes and starts to walk down the steps from our porch. The man takes off running and runs behind that church. So my dad turns around, goes back in the house, grabs um, a gun and a flashlight, and he runs to the church, which, like I said, was like cat a corner to our house. And there was no way that if that was an actual person, like playing some kind of a joke, if they were still behind, you know, in that area, my dad would have seen him and he was nowhere to be seen. And my dad walked up and down Elm Street with his flashlight. He knocked on doors. He kind of um, explained to people what I had seen. And apparently he told me, he didn't tell me this that day. It wasn't until I became an adult that he actually told me what people told him. Apparently in the area where I first saw him, there used to be a hanging tree and the man had actually supposedly had been hung from that tree during the civil rights era but the hanging itself was so gruesome that what they did to him ended up decapitating him mm. and that was who i saw and apparently he got a kick out of scaring people. So that was my very first experience, that, or at least the first one that I can remember with the paranormal. And I would have to say that is one hell of an introduction because, wow. So I've not experienced anything that drastic as far as what I've seen. Uh, but I have had some pretty strange incidents. And of course, I'll be going into that a little bit further. Uh, did you have any other paranormal experiences that you remember having? No, I just like, just uh, kind of, when you were talking about uh, the hanging tree, that's kind of like one of those things when I used to ride bikes with Sergio and we go in the woods, right? And, one of the things uh, you always have, and once you get to a certain area, like your hair starts sitting up in your head, right? Like you know, your arms starts it starts standing up, and you just like, what's going on, right? And sometimes you have, once you, you, like I said, everybody don't want to accept it. You just, you just out in this, in my case, you was out to just have fun. Um, um, Earn our badges, as Sergio would put it, you know, bruises and all that good stuff. But like, you know, uh, when you're mountain biking or hiking or whatever the case may be. But certain areas at uh, Sweetwater Creek, certain areas at Cochran Mills Park, um, those places, even in Clinton, you would just um, kind of feel a little eerie about. Now, Clinton, they have these old houses. I mean, you can like literally walk into them. And you'll see like certain witchcraft symbols on the doors and all that good stuff. And um, you 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 don't think nothing of it. You think, hey, this is the park. You know, nobody actually be down here. 
Um, they probably just put it up just to say, hey, this what they used to be and try to sell money. That was my guess. But you know if it's real. If Like I said before, your hair on your arms and you just start getting this eerie feeling all over your body. Uh, this is like midday. And once again, it was about to rain. We got caught in the rain while we was mountain biking. And we was came, uh, rode by one of those houses. And I promise you, um, Sergio and I, we always check them out, walk in there, just like exploring. But this time I didn't want to go in. It was just something about it that I didn't want to have anything about. I said, dude, let's get out of here. (laughs) Um, He was just like, what? What's going on? Like, bro, let's get out. I don't feel good about this. I mean, right. We need to bounce. And every time I go back to Clinton, I don't go back take that path. And after I found out that were uh, witchcraft, uh, some of the people that work in the park, they said, you, uh, yeah, if you, because uh, we talked to him about it. Um, I said, hey, there's one, one house down there. I know there's a lot of old houses, and they told me those houses have been around since, like, Civil War, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you, they will have to drive, uh, drive people away from actually doing witchcraft and satanic stuff down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a lot of residual energy from exactly you know that illicit activity. Mm-hmm. And uh, but in that uh, Cochrane, I love that park. I mean, it's big, it's huge. Like I said, it has the waterfall. But when you go there, I felt like a lot of people passed away there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I mean by people, I mean like slaves, because you for some good by certain treats you would just like feel like they were people on there mm-hmm. you know what i mean you just have that feeling like um something crying out to you right through your blood like you could feel your blood crawl like it's crazy um let me ask you this have mm-hmm. you ever had a paranormal experience at work at work i can't really recall other than coming off of lunch and i really want to so <laughs> <laughs> what about when you were working security? Yeah. Uh, I mean, those overnight shifts, you will experience a lot of things going crazy. Because um, uh, our main job is to watch the building, patrol the halls, make sure nobody's trying to break in or take things they're not supposed to be taking, um, unless it was authorized. But yeah, you were here. Those buildings, those 18-story buildings, you will have, <laughs> it, it, it can be very, very eerie at night, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I want to say I heard quite a, a few things going wrong, especially um, when you're walking down the halls. Once again, it just, like, you feel like an evil presence is there. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay, not going to point uh, check this point today. I'll just look down there and <laughs> turn around and go back the other way. Um, but I didn't see nobody. So, but sometimes you hear things too, a little howling. But you, you want, like I said, I always want to pass it off as just wind. But then everything is sealed. Mm-hmm. I'm not near any windows. You have your hallway, then you have the office, and then you once you walk in the office, you have to walk maybe another twenty feet just to get to a window which do, which don't open. Mm-hmm. So where the howling coming from beats me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I feel like it's always something out there, and I truly believe that. Like knowing you and knowing my sister, you know, like in their experiences, man, it just it just it's re- it made it real for me. And even when I don't want to admit it, you know what I mean, or accept it, you know it's real. Right. Yeah. Right. I remember. Um, when we lived in Marietta and I was working for that temp agency Mm. and the building that they had us go to, um, I would be, you know, chilling in the, just kind of hanging out in the the parking garage Mm -hmm. and, you know, just kind of get myself together, you know, before I have to go in and, and start working. And, I was walk- leaving the, the parking area. Now, this building, the front of the building is all glass and metal. Like, if you leave the parking garage and you're looking in, you looking directly in front of you, um, oh, there are 
pillars. But when you look into it, you can see all the way through the entire front part of the lobby, all the way through to the other side of the parking lot. Now, this is important. As I'm leaving the parking garage, I see a woman walking, and she's walking maybe about, I'd say maybe a good six to ten feet in front of me. Mm. And I'm walking, she's walking. I'm walking, she's walking. Um, I kind of veered to the left a little bit to go around a pillar. And once I passed that pillar, I didn't see her anymore. Mm. She was completely gone. She, you know, when I, I, she had on, you know, her slacks and a nice blouse and she had on, you know, her heels, she had her purse, uh, but the way that she walked, like, you know, people, I noticed people walk by us and they didn't acknowledge her. She didn't acknowledge them. They acknowledged me, but it was almost like she wasn't there. No one acknowledged her. I got past that pillar and I didn't see her anymore. And I'm like, okay, she didn't go in the lobby because I'm looking directly in the lobby. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for a woman wearing a white shirt gray slacks, black heels, and carrying a beige purse. I don't see her. I'm walking, and I get into the lobby. I use my little um, key card to get in the lobby, and I just stand in the middle of the lobby, and I'm just looking around like, where the hell did she go? She completely disappeared. And I'm like, I, I, I experienced this stuff enough. I don't need to experience this at work, too. This is just, it's just too much. It's too much. So I go to sign in and I'm shaking. Like I, that, that literally left me shaken. Mm-hmm. And one of the security guards at the front lot, at the desk, as I'm signing in, they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't want to say it because I know y'all are going to think I'm crazy. I said, but I think I just saw a ghost. Mm-hmm. And they was like, oh, was it a lady in a white shirt and gray pants? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah, she used to work here. She died um, of a heart attack like a year ago. No and she still comes to work every day. Wow. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And they're like, nope. That's crazy. And they're, um, they said, all of us security guards, we've all seen it. We know other people probably have seen it but don't want to admit that they have. And I'm like, to be honest, I don't blame them. That's nobody wants to think about seeing a ghost at work. And then you still got to work for the rest of the day (laughs) with that on your brain. Like, Oh, am I going to see her when I leave? Mm -hmm. But I only saw her that one time, but it freaked me out because it was broad daylight, like early in the morning, like seven 30, eight o'clock in the morning that I saw it and I'm like that's I've never had something be that vivid Mm -hmm. that early in the morning so that really really tripped me out it happens you know like uh, like going back to the security thing every every doing a shift you know you have every hour really you're supposed to make those patrols but it was always around three in the morning where I would not go up on the like the fourth floor I would not do it um yeah always see the checks but like i said because you have the pointer and that you hit the point and it actually keep a log showing that you did it every morning i wouldn't do it another guy wouldn't do it um we just wouldn't mess around yeah um they had a meeting with us and what's going on like who you come here around four in the morning you you go to that floor and see what happens and which floor was it the fourth floor all right, so this is something, of course, that we're going to go into in deeper in depth um, in future in a future podcast. But did you know that there are a lot of buildings, especially buildings that may be owned by um, um, like a Japanese company or a Chinese company, um, but especially Japanese, those buildings mm-hmm. will never have a fourth floor. Okay. And the reason for that, like if you look at the elevator panel, yeah. it'll say one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, not, you know, however many floors, but it will never say four. And the reason for that is because the kanji for four mm-hmm. 
mm. sounds like death. It's mm. very similar to the kanji for death. You're kidding me. So a lot, there is a superstition that, you know, buildings, um, for whatever reason, it's fourth floor. Dude, they and they will that. yep they will pretend like there's no fourth floor even though we know it says floor five but it's really the fourth floor but and it's always a certain time in the morning so. like that building was awesome it was like state of the art but at the same time you be like nah i'm good and i would rather get in trouble right up to and actually go to that floor because it's just eerie it was so freaking eerie yeah, I remember when I worked at the um, the nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in a place like that, the reason that the the sighting that I saw at the office building mm-hmm. to me was like I don't I want to say earth I don't want to say earth shattering. It was like something you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. It was that the type of the bit that type of building and that time of day. Hmm. It was just like, okay, that's not something you really expect to see, but working in a nursing home or slash rehab facility overnight, you expect to see things there in the front of the building. And again, this is another one of those situations where there's a big wall of glass Mm -hmm. and you can see the entire parking lot. If you're standing in the lobby facing the doors. Well, we're in the back. Um, this particular nursing home um, had the east wing and the west wing. The east wing is where most people wanted to be because that was the money hall. That meant you weren't going to have a whole lot of duties like you would on the west wing. Most of the people in the east wing were, you know, people that were coming from the hospital to rehab and, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas the nursing home side, which is was the um the west wing you there was a lot a lot a lot more to do so i happened to be um switched i trained on the west side um but they switched me to the east side Mm. well we're standing by it was me um and another cna and the two uh the registered nurse and the lpn that was on shift that night um, the LPN's name is Stephanie. Um, the other CNA, we'll just call her Keisha. Okay. So we're standing by the nurse's station, which is centrally located off of, you know, the halls. And we're just talking and we hear a doorbell. Well, of course, it's overnight, so the front doors are locked. So, you know, if they have to, you know, they're like an ambulance is delivering um, a patient to our facility. Since the doors are locked, they have to ring the doorbell to, you know, check in. So we hear the doorbell and we're like, are we expecting anybody? Because they usually will call at least a couple of hours before they, you know, have someone to be admitted. Um, and that was actually the reason that the registered nurse was there instead of another LPN is because they were, they were expecting a delivery. Um, but they didn't know what time the person was going to be discharged from the hospital to come to our facility. So we hear the doorbell and we was like, are we expecting somebody right now? And they're like, no, they haven't called to let us know they're on the way. They're not going to just show up. And then right after she said that the doorbell rings again. And then Stephanie starts laughing. She's like, y'all don't know? And we're like, know what? She's like, girl, this place is haunted. And we was like, stop. You just trying to scare us. Now, (laughs) having experienced the paranormal before, I'm not knocking what she's saying. Mm. I'm not trying to deny what she's saying. But I'm like, I don't want to hear that. You open the door. I'm not trying to walk through. You know, so just no. So she's like, mm-hmm. every so often that doorbell will ring several times throughout the night. And she's like, it just to the point to where unless they call us and say, hey, we're outside, we don't go answer the doorbell. And then right after she said that, the doorbell rings again. Mm. So me and Keisha like, we're going to go check it out. Mm. Dumbest idea ever. 
we go through the doors, the first set of double doors. And when you go through the double doors away from the nurse's station, there is the west side, the west wing. And when you look to the right, there's the nurse's station. When you look straight ahead, there's another set of double doors. That takes you to the lobby. So we go through the first set of double doors. The nurses that are at the nurse's station in the west wing wave at us. We wave back. Then we go through the next set of double doors. The first thing that we see is that there's no ambulance there. The only vehicles in the parking lot belong to Keisha. Um, the two nurses in the west wing, the two nurses in the east wing, and the three um, CNAs for the wet that was on duty for the west wing that night, and one other CNA that was on duty on the east wing. So technically about maybe 10, 11 cars total, but there's no ambulance. The entire parking lot is illuminated. We see no one. There is a residential, um, there was a residential area not far from the facility. It was like, maybe it's some kids playing jokes, just playing with the doorbell. There was no one. There was no one in the parking lot. No human in that parking lot. Nowhere. So we looking at each other like, Okay, so we start walking slowly towards the doors, and we get right up to the doors, look to the left, don't see nothing, look to the right, don't see nothing, look straight ahead, don't see nothing, don't see no shadows, don't don't see anything. All is as it should be. Hmm. I look at her. She looks at me. She goes to turn the lock on the door, and that darn doorbell rang. Hmm. The doorbell is right there by the doors that we're standing in front of, hmm. and that doorbell rang. We screamed bloody murder, turn around. And ran back to the first set of double doors that goes to the West Wing. Hmm. I kid you not, those doors would not open. We're yanking on them. We're banging on them. We're screaming and just like losing it. We are literally losing it at this point. So finally, she was like, Lord Jesus. And as soon as she said, Jesus the doors open. We fell on the floor because we were still pulling on the doors. And when they opened, they opened forcefully. Mm-hmm. So we fell. And then we get up and we go through the the doors. And the doors, you know, close behind us. And we are freaking out. So one of the nurses that was at the nurse's station um, for the West Wing, she comes up. She's like, y'all okay? And Keisha, <laughs> she... She starts saying all kind of expletives, like, why you didn't open the door? You ain't here. They did not hear us pounding on the doors. They did not hear us screaming. Wow. They heard absolutely nothing. And she's like, what are y'all talking about? We was like, we were pulling on the doors. We couldn't get in. The doors wouldn't open. And after I said that, I hauled butt back to the east wing. (laughs) I was like, you can have it. (laughs) you can have it i am done luckily for me i was offered the opportunity to be you know a cna for you know home health and i didn't have to go back to that place again that creeped me out and i was like i still worked there for like a few more weeks after that but i would not go towards that lobby (laughs) to save my life once i clocked in i stayed in the back I did not go. You couldn't pay me to go to that lobby. And what creeped us out even more is after that, Mm -hmm. the doorbell continuously rang every 10 minutes for the next two hours. Wow. That's weird. And that was so creepy. 
And then, of course, there was the same facility. There was the time where um, one of the patients passed away Mm -hmm. on my shift. And one of our job duties is we have to clean the body. Oh, really? So this was actually not a scary incident. This this is actually something that kind of, it broke my heart. But at the same time, it, it made me feel kind of good. So the relatives were there in the room when um, the woman passed away. We waited and, you know, as they said their goodbyes and everything, and they stepped out. They were like, we'll, we'll just stay out here while you guys do what you have to do. So we go in there with our basin of warm water and soap and um, fresh gown and fresh sheet, fresh top sheet. And we clean the body. We redress the body in a clean, um, a clean gown and a clean diaper. And we put a clean, fresh sheet on top of the body up to the, the chin. And we had to lay the, the bed down flat and all of that. And then um, we put the, the arm guard, the arm rails up, the rails on the bed up. And as, you know, I'm, you know, adjusting the sheet and trying to make it all nice and neat. I just said a little prayer and, you know, just, I was like, God, can you have your angels escort her to wherever it is that she's going? And as I'm, you know, gathering up our supplies to leave, I heard, thank you. Wow. And I turned and I looked at the girl that was in the room with me. Um, This was a different girl. This wasn't the, the Keisha girl. This was a different girl. She and I did not get along at all, but that's, that's a story for another time. Anyway, um, I looked at her. I was like, what'd you say? And she's like, I didn't say anything. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, um, she, she leaves the room and she, she's going to tell the family members that we're done. And I turn and I look at the body once again and, you know, just like, I'm so sorry. And when I turned away, she said, I said, thank you. And I just stopped and I said, you're welcome. And then I turned and left the room. There were rooms, however, at that nursing home, even on the east wing where I worked, where I loved to work. For the most part, everybody there was was great. I got along with the you know, those patients great. There were a couple of them that had me about to lose my religion. Again, that's a story for another time. But there were certain rooms in that hall that I refused to go into. Because even standing in the hallway outside those rooms, you felt you felt an energy like something in that room did not want you in there. Right. And there was a couple of times where I had no choice to but to go in there. And I would be in there for the shortest amount of time I could. But by the time I left, I would be in tears because I felt like the entire time I was in that room, that something was staring at me. And it was staring at me so hatefully, like you could feel like the hairs on the back of your neck stood up. It was like, you could literally feel like whatever it was didn't want you there. And if you didn't leave soon, it was going to do something to make you leave. And I was just like, oh, hell no. Nope. So eventually... I found out that I was not the only one in the short time that I worked there. I was not the only one who would refuse to go into that room. And it literally got to a point where if they put somebody in that room, that it had to be somebody that was self-sufficient because the CNAs refused to go in there. 
and the LPNs and the RNs, and you know, they're not going to go in there and do, you know, cleaning and changing diapers and cleaning up the room and all, and, you know, bathing. They're not going to do that. That that's the jobs of the C that's the job of the CNAs. We refused to go in those rooms because it felt horrible. It felt evil. And it eventually got to a point where if the person that they needed to put in there was not self-sufficient, they would have to find somewhere else to put them because they know we was not, we would not go in that room. And eventually they changed that room into a storage room. Wow. Because they couldn't put nobody in there. And unfortunately, you know, being CNAs, you know, there are certain things that we have to do, but when you're trying to, you know, provide care for these people. But at the same time, you feel like there's, even though there's only two of you physically in the room, you still feel like there is something in there that wants you to leave. And if you don't, it's going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. That is a horrible feeling. And so it eventually, I mean, I'm glad that they start, they took us seriously because, you know, it's, it's, the other side of that is it's a horrible feeling not to be able to do your job. Your job is to provide the best care for these people that you can, but it's hard to do that when something you can't see is about to box your head. Like, <laughs> no, just no, that's just, that's not kosher at all. Do you recall like around the time frames that that was? Uh, well, with that room, it was typically about the witching hour around three in the morning yeah and it was just a horrible feeling i remember one time i was in the back smoking Mm -hmm. and i happened to look towards that room and the door was open the lights were off in the room but the door was open so but the light from the hallway was shining in the room and i knew for a fact that that room was empty and I could see somebody pacing back and forth in front of that window. Wow. And I was like, it's just, yep. <laughs> it's weird. You know, you don't want to acknowledge it, but it's definitely out there um, in their own way, trying to communicate. When you had to go clean that room, was anybody in there or just, uh, it was just a room you guys had to... Some, sometimes there would be a person in there. Um, like I said, it eventually got to a point to where the person had to be self-sufficient. Right. Um, because we couldn't, you know, being terrified, we couldn't provide the level of care that we were supposed to if they were not self-sufficient. Hmm. So a, a lot of the times when I have to go in that room on my shift, I would basically just be looking for, you know, dinner trays and um, emptying the trash cans and putting fresh, you know, towels and stuff in there um, and, you know, for them to use when they got up to take their showers or and laying out um, uh, fresh linen for the bed and stuff like that. Um, If they were not self-sufficient and I had to, like, change their diaper or something like that, which that literally only happened once. Um, It was scary because that, you know, changing their diaper, making sure they're clean, all of that stuff. If they've had some kind of an accident, you have to change the sheets. So you could be in that room anywhere from five minutes to maybe 20 minutes Hmm. and the entire time you feel like somebody is standing behind you staring at you the entire time every time you move to a different side of the room that feeling followed you that that person was right behind you like literally if you took a step back you would bump into them that's how close whatever it was in that room was behind you like that's how close they were like you could if they were a physical solid being and you took even half a step backwards you would bump into them and to have that feeling go on anywhere from five to 20 minutes 
that's some scary crap. I feel sorry for the person that was in the room. I'm glad they turned into a cloud, like a cloud. You said a, a storage, storage room. room. Mm-hmm. Cause that's that's leaving that person in there. Like it's like I never heard. Um, you know, as long as I worked there, I never heard of any of the patients. You know, from the staff, I'd never heard of any of the patients complaining right. about there being something in the room or something trying. It was like literally only happening to us CNAs. Hmm. Like it wasn't even happening to the nurses. Um, the nurses, you know, they go in, they you know, do their medications and things like that. They never complained about the feeling, but it was us CNAs that were feeling it. Um, I I don't know, honestly, what was in there. I don't even know if what was in that room is what was causing the doorbell to ring. It could have been any number of, you know, people that passed away because it was a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So it could have been anyone that passed away that could have been doing all of that, being in that room and ringing that doorbell. But it was creepy. It was just creepy. And it's like once you became aware of it, it became even more creepy. So I was, once I was offered the opportunity to be a home health aide, I was more than happy to vacate my employment with that company because Ugh. <laughs> it was just it's just like no just just no i i didn't want to go to work um yeah it was just hard to so i after that experience i understood why there was such a high turnover at that facility of cnas yeah it was extremely high turnover hmm. those hours i always feel like that's the most activity you know when things happen, um, like even while leaving work or um, just driving home, going somewhere around that time frame, you just have to be careful because you never know what you're going to run into, mm-hmm. see, you know, just even like certain routes, you just, something just tell you, no, don't go down this way. And you go down that road millions of times before, but something will steer you and you're like, hey, not not tonight you know what i mean so and you know there's nothing down this road right maybe a state trooper every now and again but not not even a business right but all of a sudden it'll tell you hey not tonight take a different route when you don't pay attention to something happens yeah you'd be like what the right i remember um the apartment that we lived in in Marietta on Franklin Road. Um, which one? Um, the 750. I don't remember what the name of it was. was it is now. Behind the dealership or? Uh, it was the one that was next to that convenience store. Oh, that one. Franklin yeah, Road. I remember. Yeah. That apartment used to freak me out yeah. a lot. Um. Whenever I was in there by myself, I hated going to the bathroom. Mm. And what was even weirder was you remember who was my cat, um, Zena, my yeah. cat Zena, and she had her kittens. Remember? Mm-hmm. Um, it got to a point where if I was in the house by myself, like if I took a bath or even just went to use the bathroom. If I'm in there for, you know, longer than a minute, I will eventually start seeing Xena reaching under the door and I would just open the door. She would come inside and then she would turn around and then put her paws on the door to close the door. And she would sit at my feet if I was using the bathroom. If I was in the tub taking a bath, she would just sit on the side of the bathtub and just sit there. And then after she had her kittens, this is what was the weirdest thing to me. After she had her kittens, she would do the exact same thing, except when I opened the door, she would stand aside and all of the kittens would come in the bathroom. Then she would come in the bathroom 
and either she would put her paws on the door to close the door or I would close the door and they would all sit at my feet <laughs> looking at the door until yeah until I was done using the bathroom or they would all line up by the tub facing the door if I was in the tub once I got out dried off put on my clothes to leave or finish using the bathroom flush no flush leave they would all stand up simultaneously I would open the door she would stand aside let the kittens go out first and then once I left then she would come out of the bathroom wow the entire time do you remember the kitten that had the neck wound? Yeah. And we could not figure out what caused it. Yeah. And she ended up dying. Yeah. I honestly believe that was something paranormal. Really? Because one day she was fine. Yeah. And then it was like the next day she had a hole in her neck. Wow. That explains a lot, though. And we kept trying to, you know, treat take care of her and treat it, and it not never got any better. And what was messed up was out of all the kittens that she had, that one was my favorite. Wow. And I truly believe that that was caused by something paranormal. I wonder what was there trying, and they were protecting you. So I don't know what could have been in that apartment, but it was something. And the, I've had to, being on this earth for 43 years, I've had to reconcile something. And thinking about all the paranormal experiences I've had, uh, going all the way back to when I was 12 and the headless man, all the way till now, I don't... I, I used to wonder, like, how is it that we keep moving into haunted places? <laughs> like, every place that we lived, I had something happen. How is it that we keep moving into places that are haunted? And I've had to reconcile that it's not the places. It's me. Hmm. I honestly believe, I'm not, I don't want to say haunted. Um, I would say I'm a beacon. Like it's it draw it's drawn to me like, and of course it could be just you know because I was you know born with a veil over my face, mm-hmm. um, or you know it could be a combination of that plus the fact that I am a believer, mm-hmm. I've always been a believer, and of course I love all things horror, <laughs> right. so I, all of those things could play into why I experience so many things. But there has not been any place where I've lived where I did not have something paranormal happen at least once. And that's why I believe, like, certain people, that's why I say, like, you and my sister, because she was born with a veil over her face. She's able to see it. And if you try to bring it up, she don't want to talk about it. She hates to bring it up because she's trying to, she's like, oh, Junior, stop, be quiet. I don't want to talk about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But she can't help but see those things. Right. Um, and so I, I believe there's a whole world of people like you guys and able to see. I, I, I always call it that you have your third eye open or you're more sensitive to the um, those beings. You know, um, I was... I, 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 I want to say I didn't really believe it until Trina uh, and the things that she would talk about when we was kids were like, what the, what the something? Did he eat something? <laughs> you know, what, what were you? I think you better put that drink down. You know but like, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, she would be so, she don't scare. She She's not the scary type of person at all. She'll fight you. She'll... She she is very very brave. Like I remember her fighting like three people at one time. She, and she, you know, Trina ain't that tall, but she'll do it. Mm-hmm. And she don't play. But only time I ever seen her scared is when she talk about those experiences. I think it's because it it can be extremely frightening because 
typically when a person has a paranormal experience, they're not expecting to have one. And to have it happen, to have something weird or strange just happen out of the blue, it can be extremely scary. Um, It's it's just not an easy thing to deal with. Mm. Um, I still, to this day, will never buy a Furby. Oh yeah. That I don't to be honest, I don't even like to talk about that incident because that is a that situation, that incident was so unnerving. Yeah. That it's like if if I hadn't taken the action that I did, what would have happened to me? Mm -hmm. You have two Furbies on a nightstand talking with each other in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. you have a kitten on the other side of the room Mm -hmm. growling at them right and you realize one of those furbies does not have batteries and yet it's talking (laughs) and you take the batteries out of out of the other one you toss it into a, a tote in your closet and then you hear that's not gonna stop us we don't need batteries now. What the heck? Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> Y'all, these little demonic Furbies getting the <laughs> hell up out of my house. They went into the dumpster that night. Mm-hmm. I heard that. I mean, because you don't, when, whenever, and that's what that experience, that dog turned into all black human being with red eyes or a human shaped being, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know there's demonic forces out there. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, yeah, you don't know what you're dealing with. You could be something, a good angel, good, bad angel, or you could be a good spirit, bad spirit. You don't know what you're dealing with until, you know, actions follow, and then you just don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're going to be on your guard, because one, it's happening, Two, you don't expect it to happen. Three, what action is going to follow that? Right. You don't know. You exactly. Know? So it's just, it's crazy. Um, but it's real out there. Do you remember the incident at the duplex? Oh, the duplex? I was going to bring up the incident when we had those people come and investigate the apartment. Oh, oh that. Oh, I actually was talking to Sweet Pea about that, that um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that she's ever going to come on the podcast, so I guess I can just tell her story. Mm-hmm. Um, cleaning her room one day, and I see a drawing mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. I'm like, it's weird, weird looking little drawing. She comes home from school, and I ask her what it is, and she's like, oh, that's the little boy. I was like, no. "Oh, is that is that a little boy that goes to your school? Because if it is, we're gonna you're gonna switch schools." Yeah, uh, Sweet Pea is fifteen now, but uh, at the time she was what five five years old. So this was literally ten years ago. And then I'm like, "Is this is this a little boy that goes to your school? No, he's a little boy that comes through my wall and plays with my toys at night." Wait, what? <laughs> and you you never told us this? She's like, well, he doesn't break anything and he's pretty nice. He leaves when I tell him it's time for me to go to sleep. Hmm. Um, no. <laughs> a few nights later, I happen to have a run-in with a shadow person. Hmm. So those two incidents together are what made us call a paranormal investigator. Mm-hmm. They came and investigated, and the investigation, unfortunately, was inconclusive. Um, kind of made me a little angry because I almost kind of sort of had the feeling that they were insinuating that the high levels of EMF yeah. that they 
were reading in the apartment was due to the refrigerator. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's not going to explain why my daughter, whose room is way on the other side of the apartment, has a little boy coming through the wall and playing with her toys. So our bedroom was right across from the kitchen in that apartment. So that may possibly explain the shadow person that, you know, disappeared once I was able to say Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that could explain that, but that would not absolutely would not explain the little boy coming through the wall. And like I said, her five-year-old, we didn't talk to her about any of these things. Nope. Um, you know, we... You know, just like parents, we try to let a child be a child, mm-hmm. but that was just bizarre. So we were like, oh, wait, well, something right about this. Like, how How is she drawing and telling us what's going on? And mm-hmm. we're like, maybe it's a cartoon. No, she uh, uh, very... Um, down to the very detail, explain exactly what happens and when it happens. It was just, it was really bizarre, you know. Mm-hmm. And so. then there's the the incident at Westbury Park. Mm. Do tell. As a mother who experiences the paranormal, it is not necessarily a good feeling when you witness your child's or what you assume to be your child's first paranormal experience. So I'm sitting on the patio talking to my mom on the phone and I'm looking through the patio doors and I see our daughter has crawled into the living room and is sitting in front of the front door with her arms up as though someone is about to pick her up. She is sitting in a brightly lit room in front of a door that is double locked, holding her arms up for someone to pick her up. And I'm watching this like, what is she doing? She then turns over, crawls into her bedroom and comes out kind of crawling, kind of scooting with a toy in her hand, a stuffed animal. And she then proceeds to sit in front of the front door, holding this stuffed animal out as though she's offering it to someone that I cannot see. And then she drops it, starts giggling, and then holds her arms up like she wants whoever it is that she's interacting with to pick her up. And at that point, I'm like, enough's enough. I rushed into the living room from the porch, from the patio. I scoop her up, grab her toy, which I then proceeded to drop because I'm trying to juggle her, the toy, and my phone. And I just kick the toy as I'm walking down the hallway to our bedroom, kicking the toy in front of me because I'm not going to bend over and pick it up and go into our bedroom and lock the door. And then I proceed to tell my mom what happened. And she's like, oh, that baby fine. That was probably her guardian angel. I'm like, well, he needs to introduce himself to me <laughs> because that was some creepy crap. Right. That was just, it was strange. It was so strange. Mm-hmm. But, it, and it wasn't me that it was experiencing it. So I guess that, that was part of the, the weirdness for me as a mom, you know, typically it always happens to me, but to see her do it at um what about a year old, a little over a year old. Yeah. And I'm like Okay, that's that's not a good look. And then of course I have to remember that she, like me, was born with a veil over her face. So, knowing everything that I experience off and on through my 43 years of life, I just wonder, is it going to be, and I hope not, but it makes you wonder, is it going to be to to that extent for her? I mean, you only can wonder why or hope, 
hopefully it won't, but at the same time, you can't expect it not to be. Right. Because she was born with that same veil. I just, I mean, and, and the thing is that one of the things that I have learned um, throughout all of this is that if you're born with the, the veil over your face and you have the opportunity to see, experience, or interact with um, ghosts, you also have the ability to not do it. It's like working a muscle. You can choose not to engage and work on blocking it, blocking it out. I haven't learned how to do that. And I don't know that I want to. Because there could possibly now I'm I'm I love the that show Ghost Whisperer. Mm -hmm. But I'm and I'm no Melinda Gordon. (laughs) But you never know if you block it, you could be blocking some sort of a communication that that needs to come to you. I think that, you know, if you have that ability, I don't think you should try to block it. I think it's there for a reason, like anything. Like, you know, some guys are just good at basketball, football, baseball, whatever, you know. And if you have that ability, I think you should look into it because it's there for a reason. I I, I always tell you, like, I feel like it's some type of lost knowledge through time, whatever, that was taken away either taken away or it was actually lost and people don't know how to properly use those type of abilities mm-hmm. you know what i mean um or what is there for right um, but it's there so, and i think it's upon the individual to try to find out why and you know how to properly use it yeah i mean and the the um the flip side of that is there are people um i've been doing a lot of research on it lately and there are people that have been born with a veil over their face that, believe it or not, exhibit no psychic ability whatsoever. Hmm. They, you know, for whatever reason, once their veil was removed, they did not retain or develop the ability to see, experience, or interact with the paranormal. Hmm. So I, I want to know why that is. Like, why is it that some people that are born like that experience it and some don't well it's i think it's a matter of okay yeah i was born with a veil but i never had this i mean what path did they take what belief system they were born in you know or you know um when a person don't want to after a period of time they won't Right. You know what I mean? So do you think maybe it's something like maybe their innocence was destroyed or or ended prematurely? Like, because, you know, kids growing up, you believe in the Easter Bunny, you believe in Santa Claus. So it's easier as a child to believe in ghosts. I mean. But do you think it's something like maybe, you know, that innocence ended prematurely so that they didn't really have a chance to develop or have the opportunity to believe in something like a ghost or. Well, I think it's more based on like, okay, you know, like I said, it depends on how you grew up or what you grew up around. Like if you grew up and you actually did see a ghost and you have the type of family that say, no, you didn't. It was this or it was that. Mm-hmm. Constantly trying to get, you know, like we watch those shows where those husbands don't believe their wives mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Right. You know, they try to convince the child or person that they're not seeing anything. And, right. And they kind of make them feel, belittle them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that individual will do anything they can to try to ignore that. Okay. You know or I mean? like rationalize it away. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or yeah. outside influences, just trying to keep them away. But I truly believe if you were born with a veil, you'd have that ability. And like you were just saying, you can somehow somewhat tune it out. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe you can do it entirely. Right. I don't. You know, it's kind of like common sense. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? When you just know this is the reason why. You know your gut. You trust your gut, right? Right. Your gut is pretty much never wrong. 
You know what I mean? When you have your gut feeling about something. So it's kind of like that. Either you can choose to ignore it and not move on with it, forward with it, or you can just say, okay, it is what it is. Right. Some people just say, okay, it is what it is. And I feel like those who don't have that experience, it's for a reason. And they can tell you, I'd be able to tell you why. Right. So this has been a very interesting conversation. Um, we're both, you know, detailing experiences um, that we've had with the paranormal. Um, I still pretty much have something happen pretty much every day. Um, a lot of times I don't pay it any mind, and sometimes I have no choice but to pay it some mind. But, you know, it is what it is. It happens, and really at this point, not a whole lot I can do about it. Um, except to just kind of go with the flow, but, um, that's pretty much part of what this podcast is going to be about. It's about the fact that we have had these experiences and, you know, working through what we have experienced and we'll talk some more, of course, in the future, um, about experiences that we're having, but, this podcast is also going to contain a lot of things that are fun and exciting. Um, so we're going to go ahead and end it on this note. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to us talk about our paranormal experiences. And yeah, we'll be back next week with a new episode. And we hope to see you there. Until then, take care and stay spooky. Good night.